0: Alright, isn't it weird? Someone moved my stairs and I was like freaking out that they're like four feet farther than they usually are. But well, we just want to welcome everyone here. If you're new with us or you're just a guest with us, we hope that you just enjoy all all the flavor of who we are. Um, we, we feel like it's okay to be a little different and we just want to encourage you and thank you for being here. But honor, honestly, tonight it's my honor just to get to introduce a friend. You know, sometimes you have people and they come and you tell all about the things that they've done and all the places they go. But just through our journey and and life and our our desire for what God was doing. And honestly, through through Jackie, who went to the healing school, um, we were able to meet Chris and, and Chris has become one of our friends. We've traveled with him to Europe and just seen God do amazing things. I was actually in a meeting with Chris where we were in a in a charismatic catholic meeting where there were nuns and priests dancing in full and and it was the most beautiful thing i have video of it and and um and then about 800 people got healed that night which was powerful so i want to encourage you tonight to to open your hearts to believe and think differently to open your hearts to believe that that there's more to know about jesus than than, than we can ever get in a lifetime. So if you stay hungry, you'll always stay growing. And so uh, well, I want to say one thing about Q&A tomorrow because sometimes we think Q&A is a session to skip. Right? Everybody be honest. Yeah. Um, but I actually believe this, that I was in a meeting last year with Chris as he was doing a Q&A time at Leaders Advance in Reading, and I watched people being delivered. As he answered their questions, with such intentionality for that person, not an idea of this is for the body of Christ, this is for you. And I watched people be delivered as Chris answered their questions, and they, I watched them move from unbelief to belief in a in a thirty second answer. And so, I want to encourage you to come, come and 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 listen to a different form of teaching. How I many Q and A Q&A is still teaching? And so we just want to encourage you to come to that so uh would you welcome my friend Chris Gore as he comes up tonight?
1: Hey hey, good evening. How's everybody tonight everybody happy well we we have had a very long day. I was in Pennsylvania speaking the last uh the last three days, and we left at uh my flight out of Pennsylvania was at five thirty yesterday evening. I had to go to fly to Chicago. I left Chicago at seven thirty to get here at ten forty. We are about ten twenty and the plane had to be redirected to Houston because of the storms and we ran out of gas so we went to, We went to Houston We parked at Houston, and they said we 're going to do a quick turnaround and get us out again and uh, they didn 't do a quick turnaround and get us out again because the storms got worse. We sat on the tarmac till 1.30 in the morning. And then at 1.30, we're ready for takeoff. And then they had another delay, and the pilot came on and said, I'm really sorry to inform you that if we don't have wheels up by 2 a.m., we have to go back because it's illegal for me to fly, and we need to find a new pilot. And uh, so I got to bed this morning at 10 past 5. And I was awake at 8.30. So it's been a super long day. I slept really fast last night for about three hours. (laughs) So don't ask me anything tricky at the end, because I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but tomorrow, let me just say this, is that tomorrow, uh, you know, like I was kind of pleased that they did a and a session, and uh, it's actually, the Q&A is actually one of my favorite sessions of any conference I ever attend. And uh, I'm just being really honest with me, that's when you're going to actually get the best out of me. Because sometimes when I'm doing conferences, I feel like I'm telling people what they already know. Um, but when I'm, doing, when I'm doing a Q&A, is that I'm speaking into what they really want to know. And uh, the hunger, well, you come with good questions and you bring your hunger. It'll draw stuff out of me. And I, I just, I really, really enjoy it. You're always going to get the best out of me in Q&A. Thank you, Tim and Elizabeth, for having me. We're trying to work out today whether this is my third or fourth time here and we still don't know. But we were last here, I'm, I came here last time with my daughter in July 2015. So we worked that out. We were going through Bert's photos and found an old photo of my daughter and I in July 2015. So it's been it's been three years and uh, it's such a joy to be back. And I, I echo the thought that I, I have lots of places that I can go, but there's not only places that I go that I feel like I'm coming back to family. And I just feel like I come back into my family here. I feel very relaxed very relaxed and I can just open up their fridge and eat food when I want and and just help myself and wander around the house and yeah so thank you uh, Jackie and Bert also for having me you know nearly every place I go I stay in hotels I don't want to stay in people's homes but I do want to stay with you just because I feel so so comfortable and relaxed, so thank you. Got a couple of products out there. Let me just quickly talk about is that the, I think that the greatest passion I have in the healing ministry is to see the weird taken out of the supernatural. It just doesn't have to be weird, and uh, I tell, I just want to see Jesus put back in the church. I want to see the cross put back in the church. That we'll see the weird taken out, and so I tell, some healing conferences I go to, I feel like I'm healing them from their last healing conference. <laughs> So I've got a book there. It's called Walking in Supernatural Healing Power. So that is back there, and it's just about putting Jesus back in the center. And then uh, this one here is called Overflow, a Daily Experience uh, of Heaven's Abundance. And I have such a a passion to see believers walk in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. I, I love healing, but there's something else I love greater than healing, because Jesus didn't come to set you free so you can go and heal the sick. Jesus set you free for freedom's sake, and most Christians are not free, and they're trying to heal the sick out of living out of principles and not out of freedom. That when we become free, because He didn't set us free so we can heal the sick, He didn't set us free so we can go and plant a church, He didn't set us free so we can go and win the lost. He set us free that we can be free, and so when we get, it's when we get free. It's people that are free turn the world right side up for Jesus. And uh, so this one here, I actually, I have one wife. I have, uh, I have one wife, I have three daughters, and I have 65 sons. And all of my 65 sons are serving uh, lifetime sentences, uh, plus in Huntsville Prison. And uh, 12 of them helped me write this, of how they can stay in the abundance of heaven despite their incarceration and despite difficult circumstances we go through. So our circumstances don't dictate the goodness of God. And the absence of the miracle doesn't define the nature of God. And I tell you, when we can address those two things in our life and realize what Jesus came to pay for, you, it doesn't matter what comes against you. You're going to live a happy life, and you're going to be, be filled. And it's not that I don't have storms. I've got lots of storms, but the storms are not inside me because he's inside of me. Amen? So that is there. Those two are there. And then my, my, late, my latest book that's only just been out a few months is I'll talk more about this tomorrow. But it's called The Perfect Gift, seeing the seeing the condition, not the child. And uh this is this is amazing. I in my my humble opinion, I think this is the best book I've ever written because I had someone help me. <laughs> and uh this is really amazing. It's not just aimed at special needs families, it's actually aimed at uh it's it's aimed at whatever you're going through. It obviously focuses in, focuses in on special needs families, but it's uh I tell you, if you can get past the introduction and not cry, I'll give you ten times your money back. All right, and if you do cry, you pay me twenty times. All right. I tell you, there's a lot of people that uh, there's a lot of people that owe me money, <laughs> and uh, no one's taking me up on the ten times yet. So, what we're going to do is, how many of you know a family with special needs? Uh, pretty much everyone, because there's so much of it around. So, what we're going to do is, I have. I have such a heart to get this book out as far as I can. And it's written more as a design. uh like an outreach book as well. It's not really, I'm not there to push a theology of healing. That's not the intent of the book, though there's healing testimonies in there. It's actually trying to bring hope and encouragement to mum and dad and giving them permission again, once again, to begin to believe that we actually have a good God. And that's kind of the hidden agenda in the book, and that comes through well, it's not really a hidden agenda. that's just what I'm going for straight out right is to try and bring peace into the family. So what we're going to do tonight is that if if you buy one of these for somebody right then they they are twenty dollars, and it's twenty dollars on Amazon as well, and you can, I don't have to charge you tax because I'm not from Texas, and you're not going to get deliver you don't have to pay delivery, so you don't need Amazon Prime because you can pick it up tonight. But if you buy one for twenty on the condition that you agree to give the one away that you buy, then I'll let you give then you can take two for twenty seven. All right? So you can get one for yourself and one to give away. I just really want to get this into the hands of as many of many uh, special needs families as I can. Lakewood Church actually just bought a couple of boxes and uh, for their champions program and they want to get it into the hand of every special needs family in in, in the Houston church there. So so those are back there, and bless you guys. And there's some audios out there, and we'll maybe talk about those a little more. Okay, you guys ready? I uh, I was contemplating what to uh, what to speak on tonight, and uh, because I and I asked uh, to mount the back there, I said, you know, what can uh, what, what is it that I how can I best serve? You know, what is it that I, I can best bring? And I I think the I think the thing that I probably really most want to bring into Believers today is not not just freedom. We're going to talk about that um, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow night we we'll talk about really what did what happened at the cross. I mean that's on my heart to touch on this weekend. What really happened at the cross? Because I, I truly believe that most Christians don't really understand what happened at the cross, like who we became at the cross. I'll talk about this tomorrow. But I'd like to propose to you that Jesus didn't come to save us. He came to kill us. That the cross is the greatest mass murder in all of history. That's not very politically correct to say these days, but I'm not politically correct. He really came he came to kill us that we would be co crucified with him, that we would be co resurrected with him, that we would become one with him. And uh, we're gonna we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But uh I, I just have such a heart to see uh, believers come into everything that Jesus uh has for us and everything that we are. But what I what I want to talk to you tonight about is that it should be the normal expression of the Christian life to see answers to prayers. It should be the very that should be the absolute normal, but religion hasn't taught us it's the normal expression. Religion has taught us that God sits in the heavens and he decides what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and if he wants to do it. And I'm specifically talking about the healing ministry. And what we've done is we've created a theology to justify our powerlessness as opposed to lifting our experience to the Word of God. And we've pulled the Word of God down to our experience, but yet it should be the normal expression of the Christian life to see answers to prayers. See, there's nowhere, there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus teaches us how to address unanswered prayers. Because, because He walked in the unlimited certainty His prayers are always answered. I'd actually, this is going to be the title of my next book. Jesus never taught on healing. It's going to be a number 1 seller cuz all my critics are going to buy it. All the all the critics of Bethel are going to buy it and think I've gone rogue and it's going to be a total ambush. <laughs> Jesus never Jesus never taught on healing. He just demonstrated it and said go do the same. Just a thought. <laughs> so I I want to talk to you a little bit about what what I believe is perhaps one of the the root reasons is to as to why we don't see answers to prayer, and we've created a form of religion to justify the powerlessness that we walk in, and we're not really going after what Jesus has paid for, and we create a separate theology. You know, the Bible says, and I've shared this here before, the Bible says in uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says, He, referring to Jesus, is the exact representation of the Father. And if we want to know what the Father's like, we need to look at the person of Jesus. Colossians says he's the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what the Father's like, which I'm sure we all do, we don't have the Father warring against Jesus, like Jesus wants to heal someone, but the Father's going against it. And we've got Jesus warring against God. You know, Jesus is like, no, no, it's okay, let me heal him. And God's like, no, no, I want to send, I want to teach them a lesson. God, God didn't send cancer to teach you a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach cancer a lesson. And I tell you, we, we have to change in the church. We have to change the way that we think. He's actually, he's actually better than we think, so therefore he's not the one that has to change the way he thinks. We're the ones that have to change the way we think. See, when we look at, when we look at Hebrews 1.3, it says that he is the exact representation of the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. It means that he's an identical copy of the Father. And when we look at Jesus, we, do, we don't see in the person of Jesus that he blessed a hurricane, he welcomed an earthquake. We don't see in the person of Jesus where he put sickness upon people to develop character or a lesson in them. What we see in the person of Jesus, that every hurricane or every storm he came to, into, he calmed. Every sick person that, that came to him, he healed. Every funeral he went to, he messed it up, including his own. And I tell you, we we have to begin to change the way that we think. It says in Psalm 34, it says, Come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's one of my favorite psalms. Come magnify the Lord. See, to, to, to magnify something like you'd magnify it means to make something bigger than it actually is like you'd get a magnifying glass out and you put it on an ant and make it into a you know tranchula we make something bigger than it actually is see the psalmist is actually saying to make god bigger than he actually is but it's an impossibility because we can't make god any bigger than he already is see the psalmist is actually telling us here that to magnify god that we have to change the perspective of how big our God is, because He's bigger than we think. So therefore we're the ones who have to change the way we think. He doesn't need to change. We need to change. And as we begin to adjust our theology to line up with the gospel, I tell you, I've only speaking of that, I, I only got one message. I got one message that I bring, it's all I bring, it's called the gospel. It's just really, really, really long. And you're just going to get a little clip out of somewhere along that along that line. I'm only interested in, in preaching the gospel of what Jesus says that we can do and who Jesus says that we are. See, it, it, Hebrews 4.16, it says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about coming boldly to the throne of grace. Because most Christians are not in that place where they don't, they don't come boldly to the throne of grace because religion's taught us that we're not worthy. But yet to say that we're not worthy is denying the power and the blood of Jesus. To say to say that we're not worthy is is false humility. I mean it's honestly I think it's the spirit of stupid because we, we don't have we don't have a revelation of who you became at the cross. Of what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. And that I'm talking about the power of the cross. or so what happened at conversion, which we'll probably talk about tomorrow. Turn with me to, turn with me to the book of uh, Mark. By the way, I didn't know the Texas got cold. <laughs> it's colder here than California. It's like 75 in California today, and it's like... 51 out there right now. It's like... Also, I had a dream. i to tell you this. This is interesting. I had a dream that I uh, I came to... Cali- I, I had a dream that I came to um, Texas. And uh, when I got here, Texas rescinded and I couldn't get out because I left my passport at home. <laughs> I, I did. So I had to call my wife and she FedExed my passport and so I could get out. So... I bought my passport. I, I I I have never been to Texas since then without bringing my passport, just in case, just in case. Uh, you know, like I love you guys, but I love my wife more, so I want to make sure I get home afterwards, right? So, <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's. Where, where did I tell you to turn somewhere? Mark. All right. Mark 11. One of my favorite uh, favorite passages in this. Uh, just one of the things that God has uh, kind of really been highlighting me to, uh, to me today. You know, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk a little bit about the power of righteousness. You call it the power of righteousness, or call it just a fresh look at righteousness or whatever. See, righteousness, righteousness in the old covenant came by doing. Righteousness in the new covenant comes by believing. See, we're in a new covenant, but most believers that I would speak to about righteousness to say, you know, what is righteousness? They would say right doing. It's not actually necessarily the foundation for righteousness is not right doing, it's right believing. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. See when we don't understand, when we don't understand the foundation of for righteousness that we are at right standing with God we've actually missed the power of the cross of what actually of what actually happened at the cross and and who we became at the cross are you guys with me I I I love I love righteousness and I go through these seasons where God begins to just like I open up the passage and I read a passage and I'm like I wonder why I believe that you know, and I just begin to pull the scripture apart again, and I realize that I've just got a bunch of sacred cows that I'm believing, and I burn those things and begin to put Jesus back in the center, and I reevaluate that scripture, and I think, oh my goodness, I've been believing that thing wrong for thirty years, and I and that's exactly what I I did with righteousness as I began to God just began to show me the the power of righteousness because unless you know that you are righteous that you are right standing with God, you'll never be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. And many, many believers are not able to come boldly to the throne of grace because they don't know that they're righteous. When when the Father sees us, he actually sees the perfection of Jesus. That's all he sees. He sees the perfection of his Son, and that's the power of righteousness but yet we can't come boldly to the throne of grace because we don't actually believe how God sees us. See, if we don't believe that God sees us the way that he sees Jesus, then we need a renewing of the mind because as a believer, you cannot be any more righteous than the day you're born again. Now, of course, we, uh, without question, we grow in our understanding of righteousness but yet, I am no more righteous today than the day that I gave my life to Jesus. But I, of, we, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we become more conscious of our righteousness. We grow in our understanding of righteousness. But I don't grow in my righteousness because I am already righteous. I am. We are already at complete right standing with God. Could you imagine what it would look like if we if we became so aware of our righteousness that we could actually come boldly to the throne of grace? And because the Father is not judging you on your merits, He's judging you on the merits of His Son, do you not think you'd come boldly to the throne of grace? But yet we come to the throne of grace not thinking that that we're worthy, and we're coming not we're not coming boldly, we're coming in this begging off mode, asking God that He would move on something, and we base it upon our performance. This is not our performance. See, healing is not about how good we are. is not about how bad we are. Healing's about how good he is and and since since I've been going down this journey of really understanding righteousness at a deeper level. I found myself being able to come to the throne of grace in such a bold way that they' just i've been seeing some just unusual some really cool miracles Last time I was in texas was uh I was in um El paso and it was uh, it was last summer, and this is a pretty cool talk, story and i, I I'm not going to apologize if you're upset with the story because you can just take it up with the lord and you'll see you'll see why in a minute. I'm preaching in El Paso, and it was a, it was a Friday night service, and uh, I'm just giving out some words of knowledge at the end of the service. that the Lord, the Lord drops this word of knowledge in my heart. It was it was so rude? I didn't think I could say it in church. I'm like, oh God, this is church. And he he reminded me, uh, yes, but you're just you know, this it's also not religion. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't, I can't say that word. I can't, I can't call that condition out. Like, the people are going to get upset with me. And I kind of ignored it, and I moved on. And, and, and it came again so bold in my head. It's so loud. I actually thought it came over the PA system. And I'm like, wow. Like, where, you know, and I, I ignored it a second time. And, and then I said, God, like, if, if you want to say it, why don't you just say it? Like, Huh. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that word in church. That's just like, it's wrong, you know? And I ignored it again. I moved on the second time and the third time it came again. And uh, the third time I'm like, okay, God, I'll I'll say it. I'll say it. I'm I'm just, I'm really self-conscious about it. So I said to the congregation, there are about 890 people or something in the room. And I said, I got a word and like if it's if this is your condition, you can just stand up when other people stand up for sore backs and whatever because, you know, I was just feeling really self-conscious about it. So I kind of like primed them up and then I dropped the word and I quickly moved on. And I said, but there's someone here, you've got a problem in your anus. And there's someone here with a sore back. And I just quick, quick, quickly moved on. I'm like, oh God, I got it out anyway, you know, like... <laughs> and uh we had about uh we had about five hundred and fifty people that night were that were healed, and everyone that came that, that got a miracle came up the front and uh, I started over here to my left and first, I said, "How many here were healed of something they've had for you know a week or longer or six months and a year five years, ten years I think it was forty five people that had been healed of something of over forty years and then the first man was over here I said, "How many are over forty years and you know, like 40-something hands go up. And I start over here, and this man puts his hand up, and I said, uh, how long, sir? And he goes, uh, 57 years. And I'm like, wow. And I went to say what happened, and as clear as the word anus in my head, I heard, don't ask him. <laughs> it was so clear. It was like audible, like, don't ask him. And I'm like, well, so I just I just skipped him, and I moved on to other people. And... um. But he's my driver for the conference. So you can imagine our conversation as soon as I got into the car. I'm like, the second I got into that car, right, like, spill the beans. Like, tell me, tell me what happened. And he goes, I'm the anus guy. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. I figured he goes, I was the humbling word about the anus. And I'm like, well, what happened? And he goes, well, he says, it's quite a story. He said, I was born without one. He said, I never had an anus at, from birth. Man, somebody just say anus. <laughs> like, let's just get rid of the religion. Like, it's just a body part. It's, a, it's just like saying elbow, anus. It's just a different part of the body. Like just, just get over it. <laughs> and he, says, <laughs> he said, I was born without an anus. And he said, from the age of zero to eight, He said, I had five major surgeries, and he said, I had a a colostomy done at birth, and then I had four reconstructive surgeries to create an artificial anus. He said, then on the fifth surgery, at the age of eight, I was the first person in the United States of America to have a reverse colostomy. He said, they took the bag away, they put it inside, they plugged it all in, turned it on, and, and he said, and you know, now I've got. You know, I've got to work in bowel. But he said, as a result of the eight surgeries, he said, I it left me numb from my waistline to my chest. He said, I feel nothing in this area. You could stab me with a knife and I wouldn't feel it. I feel nothing in here. And I said, well, what happened tonight? And he goes, the man prayed for me, but just puts his hand on me. It's just a con- it was a congregation member. He puts his hand on me and he goes, on he put his hand here, not... <laughs> Just saying, and I put my hand where it hurts. puts <laughs> his hand here, and he prays, and he said, like that, he said, for the first time from birth, he said, I got all my feeling back, like instantly. And I'm like, wow, and he goes, but that's, but that's not the best part. I'm like, well, what's the best part? And he goes, he said, my abdominal muscles got cut out. He says, it's not that I don't, they don't work, I don't have any. He said, because of the surgery, they've been cut to pieces. They're not, they're not there. And he goes, look at this. And he's fl- he, he got an instant six-pack on the spot. Like, Poof. and I'm like, wow. I said, uh, I'm like, wow. And he goes, you still don't understand, do you? And I'm like, I'm trying to. Like. And he said, I, I have great difficulty. I'm not being rude. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, you know, I haven't been pooped by choice in 57 years. He said, I can't control it because you need bowel muscle you need ab muscles to discharge waste. And I'm like, yeah, never really thought of that, you know. And he's like, and I'm like, well, I'm looking forward to hearing the reports tomorrow, you know. So he drops him back at the hotel and he picks me up in the morning and I, I jump in the car, I'm so excited to see him. And I jump in and I'm like, hey, 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 how's Down Under? and he said chris he said you wouldn't believe it he said i sat on the toilet this morning on the great white throne and he said and i just pushed that stuff right out i've been in contact with him since and uh he's he's told me in one of his texts a couple of texts ago he said i actually got the abs of a sixteen-year-old. I mean, he is—he's a construction worker. I mean, he literally had no abs, and he just instantly got them back. Isn't that amazing? See, I—I—I want to see the body come boldly to the throne of grace. I know Jesus. Jesus didn't go through all he went through so we can just come to church and do a meeting. He went through all he went through that we can have what he paid for. I—I I want us to. Uh, we're in Mark 11. I told you to go there, right? Okay, Mark 11. 20, uh, Mark 11. Let's uh, start in um, verse 12. It says, Now the next day when they come out of Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree having leaves, he went to it to see if he could perhaps find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said, Let no one eat from this fig tree ever again, and his disciples heard it. I I heard a number of messages on the fig tree. I've heard a number of messages on why Jesus cursed the fig tree. And I'm just being honest, like, that been good, but nothing's kind of really completely, it's like, you know, I've heard some descriptions, it's like, yeah, it's a little harsh, you know, I don't know that Jesus was that harsh. I mean, I just heard some things and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, good point, but I don't know whether it's accurate or not. You know, so... I go and study it myself to begin to delve into Mark 11 to see if I can work out what the Lord's actually saying. I'd heard people say that Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was in an image of the house of Israel. I, I, I don't believe that. I mean, I don't believe that he was, he was cursing Israel. What I, what I do believe is that the fig leaf is the image of self-righteousness. And we see that the fig the fig tree or the fig leaf first appeared in Genesis chapter 3. And I, I think I touched on this three years ago. So we're just going to go there briefly and then we're going to pull back into Mark 11. But in Genesis chapter 3, who was here three years ago? Like 10 of you. So I could just, I you know, probably wouldn't really matter, right? So we see in in Genesis uh, chapter three, maybe I didn't touch on this, but it says that Adam and Eve, sorry, for Adam and Eve, uh, I lost my verse now, it says, then the eyes of them were opened, so Adam and Eve were in the garden, they sinned, it says that they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves coverings, right? So that's the first appearance of the fig leaf in scripture, is in the, is in the, uh, I was going to say, in the, in the in Scripture was when they take from the tree and they take for themselves a fig leaf to make coverings. Now, now the word coverings, if you do a word study on this, which I've done, if you do a word study, it actually means partial covering. It actually means that they covered them, they covered the bare essentials. Right? If you need a description of that. Adam made himself a speedo and Eve made herself a, for the this illustration she made herself a fikini. <laughs> Not a bikini, but a fikini. See, it's it it was to cover what was essential. There is no there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There's no blood. God don't like fruit salad. There's no blood. In a fig tree. They cover themselves with barely what was essential to cover just to cover the bare essentials. Right? And God comes in the garden and he says, Adam Eve, where are you? And they're hiding from God. I I it kinda cracks me up there. I mean I don't know why bother people bother to run from God or hide from God. It's as if we can hide. It's like he knows all things. He knows exactly where you are, so stop hiding. But we have a choice, is that you can hold on to a sin consciousness and you can hide from God or try. A sin consciousness will cause you to run from God, but a righteousness consciousness will cause you to run to God. They never had a sinful nature. They get a sinful nature from their sin. They are sinful conscious, not righteousness conscious. They run from God. And God comes in the garden and says, where are you? They finally come forward. I'm just moving fast on this piece. They come forward. Verse 21, it says, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, he made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Now, I'm a New Zealander. If you haven't worked out, I don't speak like an American. (laughs) I I'm, I'm still got a New Zealand passport and I am in the na- I am in the process of naturalization. I'm waiting for my interview to see if I can become a, a Texan citizen <laughs> the country of Texas. But <clears throat> we have 4.5 million sheep in New Zealand. I I'm sorry people. <laughs> we have 4.5 you need to excuse me. I'm like operating on like 3 hours sleep since and 5 hours the night before. So we have we have four point five million people and we have sixty million sheep. Right? We have fifteen sheep to every man, woman and child alive. Now I, I'm trying to illustrate something here, so please don't get upset with me. However, I will say this before I go there. God's not a vegetarian. You're from Texas, like I don't need to tell you that. Like this is like salt lick country. <laughs> Rudy's barbecue, is like just put another lamb on the Barbie. Hmm. I, I grew up around lambs. I grew up around sheep. I used to have one. His name was Johnny. I ate him. He was my pet. <laughs> he, he tasted it pretty good. <laughs> Best thing to do with a lamb is to get it off its mama as soon as you can and kill it. Like nine months is just the perfect the perfect time. See you don't you don't shoot a lamb. That's not Texan. <laughs> Texans shoot everything. Right? You know? <laughs> You don't shoot a lamb because it's too small, right? You're going to blow the thing apart, right? You you cut his throat, right? It's very painless. It's no pain to the lamb. He's like he's dead in a second. You just come up behind him, right? Lift his neck. You run the knife down the gullet, and you can actually pull the tunic right off the lamb, right? What's left is what you eat. Then we get our, that's how we get our wool now. You know, we make lamb fleeces, you know, things like that. The babies lay on and those kind of things, right? So we get the lamb, we get the fleece off the lamb, or the tunic off the lamb. But there's one thing that's going to happen when you kill a lamb like that is that you're going to have blood at least up to your shoulders, uh, your elbows, right? You're going to be covered in blood. There's going to be a bit of blood around, and the inside of that tunic is going to be covered in blood, right? You take that tunic off. Now this is just, this tunic skin is to believe to be a lamb. So God takes the tunic of skin off the lamb. He calls over Adam and Eve, and he puts the tunic of skin over Adam and Eve that they would have been covered in the blood of the lamb. See, we became covered in the blood of the lamb that we actually became the very righteousness of God. But yet religion has stolen from us that we no longer think that we're righteous because we think that righteousness comes by works. Righteousness doesn't come by works. Righteousness is a gift. Romans 5.19 Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will rule in life. It's not earned. It's a gift. It doesn't come by works. It comes by believing that He is who He says we are. Are you with me? Right? That's my foundation. Let's jump back to... Mark, and then they came into Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Right, I want to emphasize something there. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. What was the purpose of the dove? Sacrifice. All right. The priests or the people would come into the temple they buy a dove. Who would buy the dove? The poor. What would the rich buy? So why doesn't it say he turned over the table of the lamb sellers? I wonder, I'm just trying, I'm trying to emphasize a point. It doesn't say he turns over the table of the lamb sellers. He said it turns over the table of the dove sellers because the poor would go and pick up a dove in the marketplace. They would bring the dove into the temple, and who would meet them at the door? The priest the priest would examine the dove. What would he look for? A blemish. He would intentionally look for a blemish that the dove needed to be released, that they'd have to come into the temple, and in the temple they'd buy a dove, but the one, the, te- the doves in the temple were ha- a way higher price than the doves in the marketplace because the priest got a backhand of the sale if the sale was made in the temple but not the marketplace. I, I believe that God is saying... Is that I hate the poor being ripped off. And then it says, before that, it says he turns over the tables of the money changers. I'd like to suggest to you, incidentally, we'll talk more about this on Sunday morning, but it doesn't say he's angry. Every picture I ever had was he came into and turned over, he's like really ripped off and he's angry and he's thrashing his whip around. It's like, it doesn't actually say he's angry. But it does say he turns over the tables of the money changers. What were they purchasing in the temple? That's right. <laughs> it says that they were purchasing righteousness because they would come in with their animal and they would lay their hands upon the animal and their sin was imputed to that animal. Right Now what was imputed back? Righteousness. Right, Sin was imputed. Righteousness is imputed back, and then they became righteous until the next time that they sinned. Then they need to repeat the process. But Jesus became our righteousness. He goes into the temple. He sacrifices his blood, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father once and for all and said, It's finished. See, righteousness is not something that's imputed to us every time that we sin. Righteousness is imputed to us at the great exchange when we ask the Lord to come into our life, that our sin is transferred to him and righteousness is imputed back for once and for all because he sat down once, he paid the price once, and he sat down and paid that price and said, It's finished. Are you with me? Okay, so he comes into the temple and I'd like to suggest to you that he turns the tables over in the temple because he's, he's showing them that there's a turning of the table that's coming from the old covenant to the new covenant. And you are buying righteousness, but there's some blood that's about to be shed that not one of you can even afford to buy, no matter how rich you are. And he turns those tables over. And my friends, it's time that we actually put the blood of Jesus back in church. It's time that we start talking about the bloody cross. It's time that there's so many churches that I see now that don't want to talk about the cross. They don't want to talk about how bloody it is and how awful it was because we become so seeker-sensitive that we we want to attract people to church. I, I want to tell you something. The church is not your savior anyway. Jesus is. And if we're not talking about the cross in church, then might I like to suggest to you that if we are hearing the preaching of the word and we're giving our life, then who actually became, who became our savior? Did the church become your savior or did Jesus? Let's move on. And it said, um, verse 20, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembering and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Let me also suggest this to you. You you have to live. Can you get those slides ready? Is the sound guy up there? Uh, like, get don't put it up yet, but get number one ready. You, uh, c- cancer one. You you have to believe that it's impossible to pray and nothing happen. Now it's pretty hard to believe that if you don't believe you're the righteousness of Christ. You have to believe that I I don't think, well, I certainly don't remember, ever praying for somebody with cancer and knowing that they're immediately healed. You have to believe that like that there's power in our words, that when we pray, when we declare something, that regardless of what we see, that something happened. Okay, Jesus curses the fig tree in Mark 11. It does not say in Mark that the leaves immediately fell off. It says that they didn't see them till the following day. When Peter says, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed has withered away. So there's a process between cursing the root of the problem, cursing the fig tree to when the when the leaves fell off. Sometimes there's a process. And praying for someone, but we say, "Well, I didn't feel anything." My friend, we're not we're not believers. We're believers. Well, I do not feel anything. When did it become about you? What if we actually believe that life and death was in the power of the tongue? That we can open our mouth, we can speak to the problem, and see something happen. I was in um. Where was I? In June, I had a really busy month. I went around the world twice in two weeks. Do not do it. Lesson learned to self. Bad decision. I was so confused. I didn't know whether I was Arthur or Martha. <laughs> I was so, I was so cool. It was it was just jet lagged. It's worse. It was it was terrible. I I'm in Malaysia. And a, and a woman comes for prayer. There were, actually four, there were actually four women that night that were healed of terminal cancer. Now, one of the ladies, this is the one I've got a doctor's report on, she comes forward for prayer, and nothing was felt. She didn't feel anything. No one felt nothing. But we live with the conviction that it's impossible to pray and nothing happened. Now, if you get a little bit queamish, queasy on stuff, then... Don't look at the slide, all right? Just shut your eyes. Can you put the slide up, number one? That's kind of elongated out. <laughs> that's kind of like an, a, a football bow. <laughs> um, they've gone flat, but that's this okay. This is, this is an internal camera shot of the woman's intestines. Everything you see there is cancer. Uh, this is the 1st of June. I know it shows there 016, but it's obviously Malaysia. It's the other way around. As it should be. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm from New Zealand. Right, everything you see, the one on the top left, that, all that yellow stuff, that's infection, that's that's pus, that's that's all cancer. All that black stuff you see, that's looking down the inside of her, uh, where a camera shouldn't be allowed to go. Came up from where a camera shouldn't be allowed to go up, <laughs> to looking inside a bell. Everything you see there is cancer. Right, she gets she gets. It's called a descending colon tumor. It's six inches long. Right, she's going to she's going to die. Right, first of June, she gets ministered to on the seventeenth of June. On the twenty fifth of June, she goes back to the doctor and she has a, a what do you call it? A um, col- colostomy. Colostomy, not a colostomy. It's a bag on the outside of colonostomy. Right? The 25th of June, she has a colostomy, and here's her results. Number two. My my friend is a radiologist, and I showed him these, and I asked him to examine them, and he examined them and said, I can tell you what I see as a radiologist, but I let's have a senior radiologist examine it. The senior radiologist, who's not a Christian, examined it and said, there's a couple of observations on this see the 25th of june 25 days later he said first thing is is that cancer doesn't heal he said if it did it's not going to heal like that it's going to leave tremendous scarring it's also definitely not going to do that over 25 days it's never going to do that at all but it's not going to do that over 25 days he said this is not healed he said this is a brand new colon Yeah, I got the doctor's reports. You can. I don't understand most of it. It's too doctory for me. But I did. I did recognize this slide three. This is the only words I recognized on the whole doctor's report. No tumor seen anymore. I am the one that put the circle around it. But the doctor wrote no tumor seen anymore. I, I tell you, we we have to change our perspective. And we're not going to see breakthrough by teaching the principles. We're gonna t- we're gonna see breakthrough by talking about the presence this is This is one of my concerns as I go to a lot of these healing conferences, and the people come and they just want one more principle. Just teach me one more principle on how to heal the sick. I think we're principled out now it's not that the principles don't see fruit; the principles will see fruit, but the principles won't sustain fruit we're not We're not empowered by the principle we're empowered by grace. Uh, We're not empowered by the principle. We're empowered by presence. Right? Let's let's read on. Back in Mark 11. And Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Have faith in God. Verse 23. Here's the main scripture I want to touch on tonight. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, and he will have whatever he says. How many of you, let's just be really honest here, how many of you know that scripture? Like, we all cut our teeth on that one, right? It's like, whoever says to this mountain, be cast, be whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes... Well, okay, I believe, I believe, I believe. Believing comes from rest. It's not from you trying to beat something up with inside and stir something up and me pushing in. It actually comes, I'd like to suggest to you that it actually comes from laying back and actually believing that he is who he says he is. That's another subject. For surely I say to you, now let me ask you another question. How many of you have been speaking to your mountains? Right now, keep your hand up if your mountains haven't been moving. Hmm, funny, it's the same amount of hands. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to just try and explain to you what the Lord began to show me in this scripture, because we've become so principle orientated that we're looking for the principle. Says whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now let's just let's just be logical for a minute. I don't think the gospel's logical. But let's just be logical. Have you ever seen a mountain like raise up and run across the run across Texas and jump into the ocean? It's like I mean Jesus actually never told we Jesus never spoke to a mountain either and it ran across Texas and jumped into the sea i mean it'd be kind of a pretty major if this a mountain just suddenly moved a couple of hundred miles and jumped into the sea but yet because we take it figuratively we take it as a principle and we say well the bible says i can speak to my mountains and they can be cast into the sea but that's not what the bible actually says The Bible doesn't say you can speak to your mountains. The Bible actually says right there in verse 23, it says, whoever speaks to this mountain. Now, this is singular, not plural. But because we're so interested in wanting a principle, we take it as plural, not singular, and we assume that our mountains is whatever we want it to be. Are you with me? So we assume that the mountain is the mountain of sickness. We assume that the mountain is the mountain of debt. We assume that the mountain is that you can speak to your little 50cc Suzuki motorcycle and turn it into a Maserati race car. We think that our mountain is because you want a bigger house, so you speak to your smaller house that somehow it's going to just turn into a bigger house. Because we're applying a principle. See, it's not that I don't believe that we can speak to our mountain. I just don't believe this is the scripture that it actually means. Because we've become so principle-focused as opposed to presence-focused that we wonder why we miss the miracle because it's not actually talking about your mountain because it doesn't say your mountain or these mountains. It says this mountain. So therefore, what might this mountain be? See, the mountain is Mount Zion, because the whole Mark 11 is actually talking about righteousness. It's entirely about righteousness. What happened on Mount Zion? What I rephrase that, what was on Mount Zion? The temple? What were they doing in the temple? Sacrificing? What were they sacrificing for to purchase righteousness, but it can't be purchased. And I believe that what the Lord is actually showing us in this as a body, and definitely showing me, is that, see, I want to see a church operate in the abundance of faith. I want to see unusual miracles happen. I want to see the anus stuff happen more. I want to see the cancer, there's four ladies that night that are healed of terminal cancer that have That's the only one i got a doctor's report on, but they've come back to me saying there are four ladies that have gone to the doctor and they've got the all clear, the cancer's gone. I want to see that unusual stuff. I want to see a church that's so full of faith because we put Jesus back in the center of the church that faith actually becomes the byproduct of hanging out with Jesus. See, I actually believe that what he's actually saying here is church if you want to see faith, if you want to see the unusual miracles begin to happen in your life and through your life, then it actually starts by you casting self-righteousness into the sea. But what if you start cursing self-righteousness? Because when you curse self-righteousness, you begin to... Because uh, it starts by putting Jesus back in the center of the church. You guys Okay. Don't go to sleep on me. I had three hours sleep. You had more. so I'm going to throw my water bottle at you if you drift off. (laughs) Just kidding. I, I, I would like to suggest to you again that Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, don't call me a heretic until you hear this thought out, that disobedience wasn't the first sin. I ask most believers, what's the first sin in the garden? Disobedience. No, no, no. I think it's the third sin. They're in the garden, and the enemy comes. Genesis 3, verse 6. And he says, if you want to be like God, eat this. Genesis 1.26 says, you're made in his image. The enemy wants to convince you that you can become by works what he says you already are. The enemy wants to do everything he can to steal your identity by you working for it. I am the vine. This is not me, Jesus. I'm I'm quoting the Bible. If you don't know, I am the vine. You are the branch. John 15. I am the vine. You are the branch. Why are we trying to become, why are we trying to work so hard to become something that Jesus says you already are. We're actually already the branch. You're not, you're not sellotape to the vine. You're not nail gun to the vine. You're not glued to the vine. You're engrafted into the vine. We actually already are the fruitful branch, but we've become so focused on fruit that we've forgot the root. We've become so fruit focused. Please don't get me wrong. I love fruit, but what if we adjusted the root because it's the right, it's the right, believing that leads to right living. It's not the other way around. It's not right living that leads to right believing. We're trying to grow fruit, but we have no dirt in our pot. What if we just nurtured the dirt that was in our pot and we looked after the roots, that we made sure that we fed our roots, that we made sure that we fed our roots with the word of God, that we gave them the right vitamins and the right nutrients and we fed ourselves, then would have right roots, and out of right fruits would grow right fruit. You guys, are okay? So quiet. This is not the Texas I know. <laughs> that sounds better. Now I feel more at home. See, as believers, we cannot be any more righteous than the day we're born again. Now here's the problem: religions taught us that righteousness comes by our doing. So you think that you're righteous until you sin again, and then you think you're a sinner, right? Why? Why? What makes you a sinner? What made you a sinner? Think about it. What made you a sinner? Adam's sin. It's not your sin that makes you a sinner. It's Adam's sin that made you a sinner. Romans 5.19. By one man's offense, all became sinners. It's not your sin that made you a sinner. It's Adam's sin that made you a sinner. And by one man's act of obedience, all may beca- all may become righteous. Right? So it's not your works that makes you righteous, just like it's not your sin that makes you a sinner, and it's not your works that makes you righteous. It's his works that made you righteous. Now, please, someone came up to me in the conference a couple of weeks ago and said, are you, are you a universalist? I'm like, no. I'm, I'm definitely not a universalist. So I made that clear. We have a free choice. Right, We have a free will. If we didn't have a free will, there would have been one tree in the garden. Right, He put two trees in the garden because he gave us free will. If he didn't want us to have free will and he was controlling God, he would have put one tree in the garden. That we couldn't have done wrong. He put two trees in the garden because we individually have free will and we have a choice to make. Right, whether we do right or whether we whether we do wrong. If we begin to. If we begin to adjust our lives, and we begin to adjust the way we believe, fruit will be the byproduct. Let me let me just say this, and we're we're going to close in just a minute. I, I don't have time to go into this in 4, but it says. Whoever says to this mountain, be cast and thrown into the sea. See, we think it is the ocean. It's not the ocean. Go and do a word study on sea. See, outside of the temple, there was a huge bronze basin, which is known as the Bronze Sea. It was supported by 12 bulls and it was filled with water. And I can give you all the scriptural references for that, but we won't. The water in the Bronze Sea also symbolized God's seed. And when the divine seed is joined to the human spirit, a new person is created, spiritually speaking. So the priests were symbolically washing themselves clean of the spirit of God before entering the temple of meeting in order not to die in his presence. See, the word see that's used in Mark eleven twenty three. is the same word that's used in Revelation 21, verse 1. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the new heaven, and the and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See what God's actually saying here in Mark eleven twenty three is that He's teaching His disciples to throw into, to throw the mountain of self righteousness into the sea of His Spirit, and will believe without a doubt that you're righteous in Him. I'm going to close in a minute. Can an unrighteous man do a righteous act? Of course. Does it make it right does Does that righteous act make the man righteous in the same way can a righteous man do an unrighteous act? Of course, does it make him unrighteous? No, he's still righteous, and this is where we're fallen down because we think that righteousness comes by our doing, not by our believing. And when we do an unrighteous act, we just think that we became the unrighteousness of Christ. Now you can't come boldly to the throne of grace. Now if you think, I shouldn't have to say this, but I never know who's here. If you think I just said that you can go and live however you like, and you're still righteous, I'd like to suggest that you need the gospel. Because the greater revelation that I get of the gospel, the greater I walk in righteousness, and I no longer do unrighteous acts, Because I'm not operating out of principle, I'm operating out of relationship. My Bible actually tells me that a Christian can't sin. And I actually said my Bible because if I just said a Christian can't sin, you'd try and stone me because you'd say I'm a heretic, but yet it says it twice in 1 John. We only sin outside of our identity. And what's our identity? Righteousness. Because it doesn't come by works, it comes by believing that we are the righteousness of Christ that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and expect answers in the time of need amen here's here's what I want us to do when I was in we're going to finish a little bit different than what I did in Malaysia I'm so I, I think that there's so much misunderstanding around grace that we think that grace covers our sins Grace doesn't cover your sin. Grace washes you free from sin. It completely washes you clean. You're not empowered by principles. You're empowered by grace. In Malaysia, we got the terminally ill at the front, for which that woman is one, along with the other three and some other people. The church of a thousand gather around her, and I said, it's not with shouts of grace, grace. Sorry, it's not shouts of principle, principle, that the sick should be healed. It's with shouts of grace, grace. You see how we've become so principle orientated that we take that we take that passage completely out of the context of which it's meant in, and we just want another principle to heal the sick. But it's not the principle that heals the sick; it's his grace. I, I I'm not against I'm not against speaking to our mountains. I believe in speaking to our mountains. I just don't believe that's the scripture for it. I believe that that scripture is talking about speaking to your self-righteousness, that it would be cast into the sea of the bronze plate, that it would be cast into Jesus, that you actually believing in his finished works, that we would actually begin to believe in the finished works of the cross, that we are the righteousness of Christ, because it's in that place that you can come boldly to the throne of grace, because when the Father sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. See, it says in Zechariah, or shouts of grace, Grace, the mountain shall be removed. We got the terminal up the front. We got the people around them, and they just began to shout, "Grace, grace, grace, grace." Twenty minutes. I just, I couldn't have stopped them if I wanted to. They just, they were just shouting it, "Grace, grace, grace," because they got the revelation that they're not empowered by principle; they're empowered by grace, and the reports are coming in three terminal ladies that night that were completely and totally healed of cancer. Why don't we put Jesus back in the church? Why don't we put grace as the center? Incidentally, grace is not a teaching or a theology. It's a person. What if we started talking about the blood of Jesus again? What if we started putting the cross back in the center of the church? We would actually begin to see the fruit of our beliefs happen because we have a correct fruit. Amen? Let, let's, do, let's do this tonight. There's, there's someone here, and you have a you have an issue in your back. It's actually right here, like on the left-hand side. It's like a, a, a spasming muscle or something like that. Who's that? Stand up. If it's on the right, you can stand as well, but that's where I'm feeling right there. It's like, because he didn't die on the cross for those that had a spasming muscle on the left. He died for those that had it on the right also, so... <laughs> It's just, that's another message, but we we have to put childlikeness back into the kingdom, right? We're like, so when I call out a word, regardless of what the word is, if I call out your shoulder here and you're like, oh, it was actually there, so I won't stand. It's like, I think we just, we just miss the childlikeness of the kingdom, right? So regardless, regardless of where it is, regardless of where it is, you just, just stand if it's that's like, yeah, close enough. Yeah, if you have thyroid issues,
0: please stand. If you have cancer, please stand. If you have ankle injury, any ankle complications, please stand.
1: Now, I know this sounds a little strange, but I've I've actually never said this before, but I will. The the Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we testify of what Jesus has done, we're actually prophesying what he's going to do. Right now, I've said that before, but I've never said this before. When when I shared the testimony of about the anus, and I shared that a number of times in different churches, people come up to me afterwards, and they're like, I'm, thank you so much. Because I've never, ever heard a minister call out small body parts from the platform. Because they're too embarrassed. And it's like, it's just the taboo subject. We don't go there as a church. No, we don't go there as religion, but Jesus would. Right? And they're like, Thank you for calling that out because I have a major problem in my anus and I had it for years. Will you pray for me? Right? So the testimony of Jesus is spirit of prophecy. He already called out cancer, but if you've got a problem in the anus, take the word. Okay, so you can you can stand. Okay, Carlos?
0: If you have like pancreas issues or like uh, maybe diabetes. There's
1: there's someone here that has you have uh, you have ongoing you have ongoing issues of migraines, right? You may not necessarily have one right now, but you've you have ongoing issues of migraines.
0: Yeah, if you have ringing in the ears or deafness, tinnitus, tap him on the shoulder, tell him to stand. You, whoa, you're in the right place, guys. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Yeah, I, I've got, I got, I got another one. Um, and again, it's one of those, it's one of those words that you don't really like to bring, but I'm just hearing it real clear. There's, there's someone here. You have you have major constipation issues. It's like God. God wants. You, <laughs> this sounds really bad. God wants you delivered.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Here's what I want you to do. If if you if you're standing, I want you to just quickly raise one hand. Okay. If you're sitting, and you know Jesus, I need you to quickly get out of your seat and go and find someone to stand next to that you didn't come with. Real quick. Keep your, keep your hand up until someone comes. As soon as you've got someone, pull their hand down. Pull their hand down. If you've got someone, pull their hand down. Okay. Now, if it, so keep it nice and high. If you don't have someone yet, keep it up. Okay. If if your hand is still up, I, I want you to just real quickly slip out of your seat with your hand up and walk around and find somebody else that's got their hand up that you don't know that well. Okay, real quick. Just turn around, find someone else, and partner up with them. Okay, we've got someone someone here. There we go. Someone over there. You got someone, it's a lady, right in there, right in there. Okay, real, real quickly. I want you, to real quickly, just turn to them and find out what they need. But before you do that, please just do this, right? Go find out what their name is, find out what they need, right? But don't, if you're the person needing prayer, please don't tell them how miserable you are, how long you've had it, and how it happened. Right? Just, just tell them what you need. Okay, go. Okay, ask each other for the other one as well. Okay, don't don't pray yet. Don't pray. Just find out what they need. Okay. Shh. Okay, here's the next step. I I, I want you to ask them. Say, hey, we're gonna pray. If it's appropriate, right, I want you to ask them if you can put your hand on their affected body part. Right now, not if it's the a word. <laughs> and just quickly, say, can I can I put my hand on your affected body part? Okay, you ready? Now, now in a second, you're going to pray. Now, this, this is really important. The Bible says that you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, a bold prayer, right? It says, the, right, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You already are righteous. So therefore, when you pray, things have to shift. Because you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because we're actually coming boldly. Because when the Father sees, when heaven sees right now, all as he's seen is the perfection of his son. If we could just get this, we'd start to see significant answers to our prayers. Right? So you're not going to pray, Father, would you please come and heal? Because he told you to. Okay? And you're not going to pray, God, if it be your will, because it is. Because Jesus is the will of the Father. And everyone that came to him without exception was healed. Right? So you, you, I want you to pray with boldness. It doesn't mean you need to yell. But you need to pray as if the Heavenly Father only sees the perfection of Jesus. Okay? Now go. Pray. Okay? Quickly switch switch to the other person. Okay, finish your prayer up. Now begin to test it out. If there's some way you can test it. I know that not everyone can test it. Begin to test it out if you can test it out. Okay, look look back up here. If 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 you're testable, you know that something has began to happen in your body. Would you just quickly raise your hand? Raise your hand up, nice and high. You know that something's shifted. Okay, raise it up. Here we got we got lots of hands, lots of hands. Okay, I I I want you, I want you to pray again. Right now, if if they've been completely healed, don't pray again because I don't want you to mess it up. All right. If they haven't been completely healed yet, don't pray harder the second time, right? Pray as if you can come boldly to the throne of grace, speak to the condition, tell the condition to go. Pray now, go, okay? Begin Begin to test it out, okay? Wave out if you know, put your hand up if you know something happened in the first or the second prayer. Put your hand, wave your hand. Nice and high, nice and high. Wave it out. Here we go. Keep it up. Keep it up for a second. You know something's happened in your body. Keep it up. Keep it up. Bless you. 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20 21. Come on. Someone someone, give thanks. Yeah. Thanks, God. I tell you, I have, I, have, I, su- I have such a desire that we would see childlikeness put back in the kingdom. Let me just let me share I want to share one testimony with you and we'll close. In uh in I was in um I was speaking at a large Catholic conference um two two summers ago in the it's in this it's in the greatest uh it's in the city oh, how do I say this? It's the it's probably the darkest city in Europe. Right? It's where all the witches and warlocks hang out. Right? It's a Catholic conference. There are lots of witches and warlocks there, not because they're Catholic. I didn't mean it like that. It just there are lots of witches and warlocks there at a Catholic conference because they're interested. We go after we go after deaf ears. We had we had all the we actually. I'll back it up one step. They did mass in the afternoon. I wasn't allowed at mass. Right, because I'm not a Catholic. So I had an argument with the priest. I should say just a nice conversation with the priest. And we came to the conclusion that I don't need to be with him to have to eat Jesus. I'll go outside and eat him by myself. So I went outside and had communion by myself. right? And he came out and he found me and he goes, Would you spend some time with the kids? So I spent some time with the kids while they had mass. Mass is long. Like it's like a couple of hours. It was like two and a half hours. So I, I go and spend some time with the kids. And I share the gospel with the kids. And at the end I said, How many of you here you think you know about Jesus, but you if you you know that you don't know Jesus? They'll put their hands up. So I lead them all to Jesus and said, Tonight you're my ministry team, right? We don't grow up to be a revivalist, we're born one. And I said, When I when I call tonight for my ministry team, I need you to immediately come without delay. Right? Now I'm I didn't have a ministry team. I had no no interns with me, it was just me on this conference. I get there and I said, can my ministry team quickly come? The fathers are sitting on the front row and they're all looking at each other like he doesn't have one. (laughs) Like, are they referring to us? No, I wasn't. I was referring to the kids. The kids ran out, 20 of them. They lined up on the front row, right across the front. And I said to this one young lady, I pulled her up and I said, we're going to start with something easy tonight. And I pulled this young lady up and I said, you are going to heal the deaf people. I said, do you know what you're doing? And she said, I only became a Christian this afternoon. And I'm like, perfect, you're qualified. I said, I, I will help you. I said, my part in this is that I'm going to count to three. And then you're going to pray. I said, I'll even do it in French. Right? So I said, and I said, you pray. And she goes, I don't know what to pray. And I said, that's okay, because it's not the prayer that heals the sick. And she said, well, what do I say? And I said, well, ears open it would be a good start. She goes, okay. So I said, eux deux and she says in French, airs open in the name of Jesus. Now, before we got there, I said, everyone that was deaf or ringing in the ears, they had their fingers in the ears. right? And I said, when she says, "ears open, you all say, pop, and then test them out. So I go, air de toi, She says, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Ears open. And then the whole congregation goes, pop, 3,000 people. right? There wasn't 3,000 deaf people. There were 3,000 people in the room. I said, if you know that your ears just opened, I want you to raise your hand. Did you know, we counted 100 deaf ears open that night like that. See, what 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 would happen if we actually put the simplicity of the gospel, but we don't want the simplicity of the gospel because we want another revelation and another principle? It's actually about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Can we just give Jesus one more thank you, shout? Thanks, God. To, to, uh, tomorrow, we have got the special needs meeting. I'm really looking forward to that. In the afternoon, I, we're going to do some Q and A. Please, please be thinking about what you want to ask me. I also want to talk. I, I'm going to blend into that tomorrow a little bit of. How, how to minister that how we can actually see autism healed I mean how many of you know someone that's autistic right pretty much everyone i i this this it has to stop it has to stop it, it really does have to stop it's like it is, we are at at an epidemic and the his, it actually statistics actually show us now that by i think it's twenty twenty one that nine out of ten boys will be born with autism right and that that just horrifies me it absolutely horrifies me i'm not so much interested in the cause of what's making it happen i'm interested i, I don't want to be a cons- conspiracy right i'm more interested in just bringing the answer i can't change the cause but i can bring the answer right i've got i've got no control over the cause so i can control my life and my family's life right but i can bring the answer so we're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow afternoon It's not just about autism. If you think, no, well, it's about autism, I won't go. No, it's actually about us learning to live in freedom. Amen? Okay, God bless you.